0: Advent season and we just think it's good to, as we prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of Christ, it's so easy to be drawn away from the distractions of the season that we feel it's important during this time of year just to, uh, uh, to focus our, our service, to focus our worship service on this important time and remember the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, I know I've probably shared this story with you before, but it's pertinent today, so I will share it again, and if you've heard it, you can, I don't know, nap or whatever. But. So when, when I was preparing for my, my oral exams, I was an utter wreck. I, I don't get too nervous about a whole lot of things, but I was a complete mess. So I wake, wake up in my hotel, and I'm, and I'm getting ready, and, the, and, and my exam is like, I don't know, around noon or 11 or 1, sometime like late morning, early afternoon. But it doesn't matter because I got all morning to sit in my room and just obsess over this thing. And, and I'm so nervous that I, don't, I can't even really go over my notes. I can't even really begin thinking about, you know, well, this is, I'm going to prepare to say this, or here's a weak point in my argument, or anything like that. All I can do is just worry. And so I think to myself, well, this isn't doing me any good. Across the way, uh, on the facility, on the campus there, there was a gym. So I said, well, you know what? I might as well go burn some energy. I'm going to go over to the gym and get on the bike and ride the bike, the stationary bike for a while. That'll at least do something. So I get over there and I get on the bike and I I start to ride. And I look over kind of just to my left and a little bit behind me, I, I see... Uh, one of my inquisitors and uh, one of the guys who's going to be interrogating me in a few hours. He doesn't know me, but I know him because I've researched him. I've tried to figure out who is this guy? Where did he do his studies on? Where, where is his area of focus? What is his, what is his area of, uh, of expertise so that I know how to address this man? And I did have him just very briefly for a class. So he doesn't know who I am, but I know exactly who he is. And so I'm thinking, oh, there's Dr. Plummer. So I'm riding, and I look over, and I notice he's reading a paper, and he's got a red pen. He's on the bike riding, and is he reading my paper? Now I'm even, now I'm just totally like, now I'm trying to look, but not really look, you know, how you look over there, but you don't want him to see you looking at him. And it's like, how often is he using that red pen? And, and, And is that sweat, or is he weeping? And is he weeping for something good or is it bad? I'm just, now, now it's not doing me any good to ride, but I'm trying to ride the bike. And, and, and I'm just, I'm going nuts over this thing. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I should go over and introduce myself. No, don't do that. That's, that's, no. Yes, do it. What if he leads before you? And so all of these things are going through my mind. And finally, um, riding my, this bike isn't doing me any good. So I get up to go and I think, you know what? I am going to actually go and introduce myself to him after all. It will help me in a few hours when I actually see him. I can, we'll have some familiarity. So I, I go up to him. Uh, he's on the bike. And I say, um, are you Dr. Plummer? And he says, why, yes, I am. And I said, well, my name is John. Like He goes, John, I'm reading your paper. <laughs> And he's going, oh, this thing's great. And he gives me some, some compliments. He's going, oh, this is really nice. I'm really enjoying it. Man, our, our meeting together this afternoon, it's going to go great, man. You're going to, go, you're going to have, not having, you're gonna just breeze right on through this. Hey, we got a few questions for you, but you're going to come in. We'll sit down. We'll have a few questions. And this is going to go great. He's going, you wouldn't believe it, but people get really nervous about these things. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, me, right here. I'm the guy. And he's like, oh, no, no, you won't have any problem. This is going to be great. I went back to my room, and I was still somewhat anxious, but I can tell you at that moment, at least now, it's like, well, I still have to go through the inquisition and I still have to go through the interrogation. But there is a piece now that I have that has come over me because you know what? I'm going to get through it. I'm going to make it through. He's already told me that this isn't going to be a big deal. And while he's not the only guy I'm going to be talking to, you know what? I think I can do it. And I I think I called Simone and said, you you can't believe what just happened. See, here's the thing. The future before us is sometimes really stressful because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. But when we have a clue as to what the future holds, when we have a general idea that, you know what, the future may have some difficulties and some trials, some obstacles, some challenges in front of us, but we are certain and confident that on on the good word of an expert that we are going to get through that, we tend to be able to live out even that uh, difficult anticipation of the future. We can live that out with great confidence and with great hope and with peace. And so the fear of the unknown can be a real challenge to us. And we live in a very tumultuous world. We live in a world that we wonder, what is today going to bring but we have hope. We have hope in Yahweh. We have hope in the God who is revealed in Scripture because He is not like the gods of human, imagin- of human imagination. He is not the God of, of human limitation. And because of who He is, we can have peace in the midst of turmoil because I have it on very good word that he will carry us through these things and that we have peace with him. And therefore, even though the world collapses around us, even though we don't know exactly what tomorrow is going to bring, we can have peace. So as we come to Second Peter, I just want to give you a little bit of the setting of this particular passage of text. And really, Second Peter in general. And Second Peter, much of it is dealing with false teachers. False teachers have called God's word into question. In fact, it goes way back to Genesis chapter 3. Has God really said? That's really at the heart of so much doubt and turmoil in our lives. It goes back to so much false teaching. Is that really what God has said? King James is best. Hath God said? And so the question has come up, has God really said, now the specific issue that the false teachers are dealing with is in regards to the second coming of Christ. And their, their doubt, their questioning um, is basically based on two denials. First of all, where is this coming? And second of all, listen, it's been a long time and nothing's changed. Everything seems to be going on just as it always has. Where is he? Doesn't appear like Christ has done any good in this world. And so Peter is now writing to the church. He's writing to the people he calls the beloved. There are two groups in in Peter. There are the beloved or sometimes the you's, the you all's, uh, the beloved, the ones who have called upon the name of the Christ on the name of Christ. And then there are the they's, the them's. And they are the ones who have abandoned the sure word of Christ and are now engaging in creating doubt on the beloved. And Peter is responding, saying, you are the beloved. Let me give you a sure word. Let me give you a word that even no matter what happens, you can have comfort and peace in the fact that God on his authority has spoken and you can trust his word. And no matter what goes on around you, you do not need to be anxious about anything, but you can live in peace in your relationship with Christ and peace in your own life in this world. And so we're going to look at this second denial, this idea that all things continue as they have been. So if you will look and, and follow along with me as we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. It goes like this. This is God's holy and inerrant word. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation." Our Father, we come before you this day and we give you praise that you have spoken faithfully and truly in your word, the Bible, and that it is a sure word and that we, it is sufficient for us, it is authoritative for us, and we can rely completely upon it. So now, Lord God, open our hearts and minds to receive your word, Lord God, and enable us, Father God, to live out that which you've called us to live out. And these things we ask for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, Peter begins with uh, confronting this wrong view about God. And I'll maintain that peace that peace comes into our lives, but peace requires that we have an accurate or a right view of God. Without a right view of God, you and I will end up being pulled in a million different directions. And Peter sets the standard straight... Or, Gives an accurate view of who God is. He begins with this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some have counted slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the first thing Peter does is he goes to one of the attributes of God. God is an eternal God. This is important for us to understand that God is an eternal God. In other words, God does not have the same limitations that you and I have. I can be in one place at a time. There is a point where I began and there will be a point when I end. But with God, he has always existed and he will always exist before the heavens where God was and when the the earth burns up and is dissolved, God will still be. He has no beginning and he has no end. He, is not, he does not have the same limitations that you and I have. He ex- his experience of time is not like ours. And the false teachers are going on saying, well, it's been a long time since Jesus walked the earth and it's been a long time since he promised that he was going to come back and I don't see any difference. But Peter reminds the beloved, don't forget this one thing. God is not limited by time. For him, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. In the midst of false teaching, note what Peter does. He calls the beloved to remember basic theological truths. Because how do we refute wrong teaching? How do we stand in the midst of false teaching? We do so by remembering the truth of God's words. This is one of the reasons I'm going to just plug our Bible study in the morning, our Sunday school, that we are teaching systematic theology in our Bible study in the morning. Why do we do that? Why is that important? It's important that we have a right understanding of God so that when lies come, we can measure them and say, wait a second, wait a second, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. And Peter is reminding his audience, he's reminding these beloved. The false teachers are saying that God is, it's taken so long and maybe God has, and God hasn't done anything. Peter says, don't forget. Don't forget. God does not judge or is not affected by time in the way that you and I are. And for you and I, maybe it's been a long time, but for God, it's not a long time at all. In other words, God is much bigger than time. The error of the false teachers was that they had made God into their own image. They had made him with similar weaknesses and frailties. Oh, it's been a long time. Maybe God is aged. Maybe he's, he's so old now that he's forgotten his promise of a long time ago. Peter's saying, don't forget. God's not like you and me. And he's not bound by the same limits as you and I are. And one of the things that does not limit God is time. And then he goes on and he says, and and the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, but rather he's patient, not wishing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. In other words, here's the interesting thing. God's seeming or apparent delay actually has a purpose. His, quote, inaction is not due to his his inability. See, God is the Lord of time. And time is simply a tool that God uses to accomplish his purpose. And so God may be silent, but do not think that God has stopped working that even in this apparent time of inactivity, this time where it appears that God isn't doing anything, I want you to understand, Peter is telling us, that God is still working, still bringing about His purposes, and His purposes are salvific. In other words, His purposes are for the goal of salvation. So, do not think for a moment that God is inactive, or that even that God is silent. Even if it appears that God is silent or inactive, He is working, and He is working for salvation. He is, even in His... Quote, silence, he is extending his mercy and patience to a broken and fallen world that they might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, so you false teachers, you have a completely wrong idea about God. You think that He is like you, that He is limited in time. You think that His silence means inactivity, but that nothing could be further from the truth. He is actually working out His glory and His purposes, and this time of silence is a time for you to call upon the name of the Lord and forsake your wicked ways and come back to Him and receive Him and follow after Him. So His inaction is not idleness or forgetfulness. It is actually uh, uh, a time where we have opportunity to call upon the name of the Lord. Peter then informs us of a promise. The promise that God has made, and I'd like to just call your attention to we have peace in the promises of God. There is peace in a promise. And this is what Peter says. But the day of the Lord will come. So it's been a long time. The false teachers saying, well, it's been so long. Maybe God's not doing anything. Maybe he's forgotten his promise. Maybe that it was a false promise to begin with. Maybe we misunderstood Jesus. Hath God said all of these things. Peter says, don't, don't mistake God's delay or don't think that somehow his... Apparent inactivity is God's forgetfulness. It is actually God still working out His promise. But, but the day of the Lord will come. Don't forget that. Don't forget the day of the Lord will come just because He seems to be inactive and silent and, and idle in this time. That's not true. But the day of the Lord will come. There will come a day when nobody is going to be thinking, well, God is idle today. Or that God is being inactive today. No, that day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come will come, and it will come like a thief. This is the image that Jesus used. If somebody knew the day that the thief, or the hour that the thief was going to break in the house, they would have prepared for that day. And Peter is picking up that, that image. If you would know that, that Jesus is going to come like a thief. What that means basically is he's going to come unexpectedly. And while his coming will be unexpected, make no mistake, it will be utterly and completely obvious. Yes, he will come like a thief. That is, at a time when it is unexpected. But when he arrives, there will be no mistaking. You will not say, gee, I wonder if this is it. We have a number of false, teachings in our community, and people have said that Christ has already returned, like in 1914. But maybe we just missed it. See, you're not going to miss it. It will be unexpected. It may show up. The day of the Lord may be today or tomorrow or a thousand years. I don't know. But when it comes, you won't be wondering, huh? Maybe, or You will know, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In fact, Peter goes on and talks about these cataclysmic events. The Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Folks, there's nothing secret about that. You will know. This is it. talks about the earth and the heavens being dissolved. And the the idea there is the very foundation, the very makeup of the universe will be dissolved. The substance from which everything is composed will be deconstructed. This is kind of a... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and here it is God decreating the heaven and the earth for which then he will recreate all things new again. This is where Peter's going to go. And there's great debate over whether or not this is going to be, a, he's going to completely destroy heaven and earth and then recreate it brand new, or if he's going to um, re, remodel uh, what he's already got. We're not going to get into that debate. You can, you can look at that later. We can discuss that at another time. But the bottom line is you will know, And God is going to make all things new. And everything will be laid bare, Peter says. Every motive, every injustice, every unrepentant sin exposed. But also, not only will the heavens and earth be destroyed, but also sin will be destroyed and death will die. All that has to do with this fallen world will be done away with. I think maybe practically to Peter's listeners it is that the world that is loved by the false teachers the world that causes them or enables them to be complacent to be to have their greed be seen as that which is beneficial. A world where their sexual license, their desire for power and pleasure, that world will be completely undone. I guess maybe the best way to put this is it's all going to burn. Everything that we we glory in and love and desire, it's going to be undone. And so here's where we're at so far. God's silence, God's quote inactivity is purposeful, but God will not always be silent. His silence right now is so to, is so that you would come to repentance, but make make note of this. His silence is not forever. There will come a day and it will be very loud and it will be very noticeable. And nobody will be saying, where is God? In fact, Scripture tells us people will be saying, here comes the Lord, let the mountains fall on us. They're not debating, well, I don't know, maybe this isn't it. No, this is the Lord, and we want the mountains to hide us from His glorious presence. We would rather be buried under the rubble of mountains than see His beautiful presence. This is the effect of sin that we do not even desire to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, the the one who is wrapped up in their rebellion against God when he appears, don't even want to look at his face, would rather be buried under rubble. And I pray that that's nobody in here. But if so, if you have not called upon the name of the Lord, if you have not repented of your sin, do not think, I'm just, his silence, his inactivity is given for an opportunity for us to turn from our ways and call upon him, to love him, so that when he appears, we can rejoice and say, Hallelujah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peter goes on and says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? This is really interesting because so Peter gets off and he starts talking about things about the end of the world. All right. And Some of them are pretty difficult to understand. What's this? In what way is the earth and the heaven and earth burned up? I mean, is it? uh, I don't get that. Peter gets beyond all of the details and says, listen, however it's going to be is going to be. You, however, are living in the present. How are you going to live your lives in light of the fact that the Lord is going to come and he is going to undo? what he has done, and then recreated. The idea is, how are you going to live your life? To be kind of technical, here, here's the idea. Eschatology is ethical. And let me unpack that statement. Eschatology is just a fancy word to say, study of the last things, all right? So um, when we think about last things, end things, we might think about what happens to a person when they die. That's the study of eschatology. Eschatology. Right? We've all had discussions of what happens when we die. Even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've probably said, huh, I wonder, I wonder what happens when I die. Well, probably when I die, I just rot away and become worm food. That's fine. That's eschatology. Okay? You, are now, um, you have now studied or talked about eschatology. That's all it is. It's just a talking about the things that happen at the end. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in the timing and the, the signs and, and what's going to happen. But Peter, for us here, is saying, listen, our understanding of what's going to happen in the end, what's going to happen when we die, what's going to happen when the Lord returns with a shout, we get so wrapped up in that. But here's the thing. We need to, that needs to transform our lives Now. Not that we shouldn't just have discussions about, you know, all of the end time events and are there signs and all of these things. That's fine. We can have those discussions. But let us not have those discussions while ignoring the fact that, given that Christ is going to return, how should we live our lives? And so, Peter says. Knowing these things that are going to happen, having certainty of these things, what kind of people will you be? How will you live your lives? In light of the fact that Christ is coming back, how are you going to live your lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10-15 through 15 seems to imply, well, I think it's pretty explicit actually, not seems to imply, but it's pretty explicit that there are people who are going to be saved, but they're the things that they've done in this life will have no eternal significance. And then there are going to be people in this this world and in this life who are also saved, but their lives will have eternal significance. Perhaps the greatest modern example of that was Given by, and you have probably heard this a thousand times, but I'll say it again. But was given by by John Piper, and perhaps maybe his most one of his most famous sermons when he was talking about two women from his church who had died on the mission field in Africa. And uh, I believe that they um, their brakes went out and over a cliff they went. And he was addressing his church, and people are saying, "Well, isn't that a tragedy that these?" Two ladies died in such a horrific manner, and he's going, That's not a tragedy. He's going, One of the ladies, she was 90 years old, and she gave her life to the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching Christ where he'd never been taught before. And another lady, a few years younger, in her 80s, came alongside her and helped her, and they lived the gospel, preaching Christ and helping those. And yes, one day the brakes went out, and over the cliff they went. That's not a tragedy, that's a life well lived. He goes on, he says, I'll tell you a tragedy. Here's a tragedy. Bob and Mary retire at an early age, and they live their life on their on their boat in Boca Raton, Florida, and they collect seashells. That is a tragedy. These two ladies who went over the cliff. Glory be to God. That's no tragedy. That's a life well lived. This other life is a life wasted. What are they going to do at the end of their lives? Are they going to show up before the Lord and say, Lord, look at my seashells? Knowing that one day, whether it be the brakes going out on our vehicle or we just breathe our last breath in peace in the presence of our family. But the bottom line is this given that all of us will breathe our last breath, how are you going to live your lives? Will it be wasted? Or will it have significance? And I'm talking eternal significance. Not will you leave a whole bunch of money behind so that your name can be on the, the wing of a school. Which will also burn up. But Will you live your life in such a way? How are you going to live your life in light of the fact that Christ is coming back? Christ came once. We look back in Advent, we look back at the coming uh, at the arrival of Christ 2000 years ago, but Advent forces us to look forward to the fact that he is coming again. And Peter is now asking, given that's the truth, given that fact, how are you going to live your life? And Jesus tells a parable uh, of a of an unfaithful steward. Who is given responsibility to feed and to clothe other servants? And he says, "You know, my master's been my master's been a long time coming." And he begins to get drunk, and he begins to abuse his the the other servants, and he begins not to give them their daily portion of food or their clothing. And then one day, one day the master shows up, and what will be the fate of that of that of that servant? And so there is. There is an ethical component to our understanding of the last days. And then, along these lines of this ethical component. Peter goes on and says, "Since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness?" Notice this, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord. This idea of waiting is used three times in the next three verses, so we should probably pay attention to it. Waiting for the and and here, the idea of waiting is not something passive. You and I think of waiting as something like you know we're kind of bored and we're sitting around and we. Don't know what to do. We twiddle our thumbs and we're, oh, God, I'm so bored. That's not the waiting. Waiting in, in, in Scripture, waiting in, in, in Peter, is not this idle, oh, I'm so bored. But there is an activity there. It is not passive. We are not passive in this time of God's patience. Rather, godliness and holiness are the way we live out our lives. And as we live in godliness and we live in holiness, we are a- actually anticipating the new created order. Folks, we are to live like we are going to live. We are to live in an- right now in anticipation of how we will live in the new creation that God establishes. How will we live there? It, Peter says that righteousness will dwell there. There will be no sin. So we are to live our lives in godliness and holiness now, in anticipation. In other words, we're to live future lives. We live in the present as we are going to live in the future, is is Peter's idea. This is not passive. This is living for the glory of God, serving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, doing all that we can for the sake of the gospel. So we live now in anticipation of the future. In other words, our present lives right now anticipate our future lives, live like it. And then he goes on, he says, waiting and hastening the day of the Lord. That's kind of an odd idea, isn't it? Do we actually hasten the day of the Lord? Well, not in a concrete or an absolute way. Certainly God has already set the time of his arrival. Those times are set in the Lord's timetable and we are not privy to them. I do not believe that we... um, Uh, accelerate them, nor do we decelerate them. But rather, there is this idea of hastening. So I recognize on the one hand, God is in control of the timing and the consummation of all things. And yet, in some ways, in some ways, we hasten the day. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come. But we also, in the Bible, there is this allusion to the last martyr and the last convert and the time of the Gentiles. There seems to be somebody's going to be the last one who gives their life for the, for the glory of Christ. Someone's going to be that person. Someone's going to be the last one who says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So in a sense, there is this idea of hastening. In other words, we live out, our, we live out godly purposes and we partner with God to bring about the fulfillment of his plans. And the way we will do that is we share the gospel with one another. We share the gospel to our communities. We live our lives in a way that reflects godliness. We let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And in that sense, the day of the Lord is. is hastened, but make no mistake about it. I am not saying that God is not. God is utterly and completely sovereign. Understand that. And his day um, is fixed. But we join with him in his plans and in his purpose to bring about that which he has already planned. Folks, you're part of God's plan. But according to his promise, we are awaiting a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Folks, turn on the news this afternoon, or maybe you've already listened to the news this morning. Folks, think about this. In the new heaven, in the new earth, righteousness dwells. Sin is abolished. Death is dead. Christ reigns. And righteousness dwells. We wait for that new world. And finally, we are encouraged by Peter to have peace and patience. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. So we begin with this idea of therefore. Again, there's an ethical component to the eschatology. And there's an ethical component to this end times. Be active, that is, be diligent. Don't fall prey to laxity. Don't fall prey to laziness. It's easy. And that doesn't mean you can't take a break or take a nap in the afternoon or anything like that. I'm just simply saying that our course of life, regardless of where we're at, if we're, if we're school teachers or business people, if we are um, laborers or construction people or whatever we are doing, we are doing so in anticipation and for the glory of Jesus Christ. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Don't be lazy. Don't be lax. And be at peace, folks. The world is falling apart. And, and Peter's just told us the future is one of cataclysmic change. Well, that's enough to get me running around going crazy and being anxious. And yet Peter says, be, you're at peace with that, knowing, knowing these things. Just as in my opening example. I knew that there was still an interrogation to go. I knew that there were going to be tough questions, but I was at peace having the word of a good authority saying I'm going to get through it. You will get through this thing. And you're going to come through it fair. You're going to come through it well. That doesn't mean that he isn't going to ask me hard questions, and he did. And I stumbled over a few of those questions. And in the end, it was done, and I passed. God is saying, there's turmoil coming. There's cataclysm that's coming. That isn't to cause you to get fearful and, and wonder, oh no, Oh no! what am I going to do? No, we can be at peace. And why can you be at peace? I pray, first of all, you'll be at peace because you have a peaceful relationship with God. Is God on your side? Or be, better yet, are you on God's side? Are you at peace with God? Not because you have made up some some set of rules. Are you at peace with God because you have been reconciled to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ who is the only way to salvation. If you have, then you have peace with God no matter what happens around you. I know this, that God and I are at peace because He has reconciled me through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we can have peace with one another and we can have peace within ourselves. And then Peter concludes in a way that he basically began, and that is the patience of God is salvation. What the false teachers labeled as slowness, Peter identifies with patience that leads to salvation or for the purpose of salvation. It's not God being slow. It's God being merciful. So the fact that you have been given another day is not for us to say, well, look at that. I cursed God yesterday and no lightning bolt struck me. Aha, I'm good. No. The fact that a lightning bolt did not strike you is God's mercy and His patience. And He's given you another day. And it's another day to hear the gospel. And it's another day to respond to the gospel. And it's another day for the Holy Spirit to convict your heart. And if the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart, don't regard God's patience as His as his approval, but regards God's patience as his mercy and respond and call out to him that this is the day of salvation. So I'll I'll close with with this. This is a season, the Advent season is a season that we live out the peace that passes understanding. The Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. I love that phrase. It goes beyond my understanding. I'm at peace, and I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense, because all I know is there's craziness going on around me. And yet, I'm at peace. There, that doesn't make sense. But here I am. It passes understanding. And this is a season where we live out that peace. So we recall that Advent not only has a, a past element or a, uh, a an element that we look back to where Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, was... Uh, brought into this world, came into this world where God put on flesh and dwelt among us in, in the person of Jesus Christ. We look back at that. He is called the Prince of Peace. And he, he did say that peace I leave with you, not peace like the world gives. Um, and so we look back at that event. But Advent also, especially this year, Advent has a very forward-looking Theme to it. it is a theme that not only looks to the past, but it looks to the future when the Prince of Peace comes again and restores things and puts things the way that he has made, he originally intended. So, and the future has a lot of unknowns There's that will foster anxiety, uh, lots of unknowns. For instance, your boss call, says, uh, tomorrow I need you to come into my office, I need to talk to you. And you're like, oh, is she going to fire me, or am I going to get a raise, or what's going to happen? Lots of anxiety. The doctor calls and says, you know, your, your results are in. We need to talk. The future has anxieties. Very, numerous unknowns. However, your future, for those of you who are in Christ, is known. It is known, and that is you have peace with God, and even if those lab results are not encouraging, even if your boss says, this is, I am terminating you today, even in that, We can have peace knowing that our sovereign God rules and reigns over this body. He rules and reigns over my job. And even the worst case scenario is that I go to be with the Lord, but because I'm at peace, I will stand before Him spotless and blameless and without any condemnation. I can take that. I pray that during this season, those events are are not, Part of your life I pray there's nothing but joy and laughter but I pray most of all that you would have peace with God and I pray most of all that we as a church as brothers and sisters in the Lord would live at peace with one another let's stand and let's pray